What's this? Bonus content? Can you believe it, Emerald? Yeah, I can believe it because we plan to record this, Tom. Oh, yeah. We make the show. A little bit of bonus content for Dear Serious Danger listeners. In my desperation (laughs) to block (laughs) off my little book. (laughs) No, I wanted to share something, a bit of an audio extract from the audio book of my debut novel, I, Millennial. Debut novel. One Snowflake Screed Against Boomers Billionaires. It's It's not a novel. No, my debut book. I Millennial, One Snowflake Screed Against Boomers, Billionaires and Everything Else, which Emerald had to read. She was forced yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Tom would fucking like message me every day. Have you finished it? Have you finished it? What, do you, <laughs> what part are you reading now? Do you like it? Blah, blah, blah. Do you like it or what? Like what's, what's I've told on? you that I like it. See, yeah, I, I've now already complimented Tom on the mm-hmm. fact that I actually think his book is unfortunately quite good. and i don't know how many more times i'm gonna have to say unfortunately the book is really good the book is good the book explains things in a way that is understandable but interesting it has all these cute little facts it has pictures it has funny little asides and footnotes it made me laugh and (laughs) i liked it are you happy (laughs) hostile positive review i've ever had in my entire life um, the book is released nationwide uh, the day after you're hearing this. If you listen to this on the day that it comes out, on Wednesday, the 30th of November, you can pick it up. You can pre order it now, of course. You can also get the audiobook, and you're about to hear a taste of the audiobook. I thought this would be helpful and relevant to serious danger listeners. Um, what I want to play for you is a small breakout section from the climate chapter. The climate chapter is mm-hmm. called Nature Isn't Healing. <laughs> and this is my summary of what went down when it came to the CPRS, the greatest moment in, Green- <laughs> <laughs> in Green's politics history. I wanted to try and summarise that as much as possible with a few jokes in there and try to explain what how much of a shit show it was how it's ridiculous that Labor keeps blaming the Greens vote for everything ever since and also a hopefully a critique of the fact that, well, really a emissions trading scheme probably wasn't really that great anyway. It was, it was always going to be insufficient, this market-based mechanism to try and approach the massive climate crisis that we all face. So even on that front, perhaps the Greens could have been more radical and pushed for more anyway at the time. No? Yeah. That's letting, letting. I'm trying to think of a, a corollary to that. That's like letting not perfect be the enemy of the radical or something. But I couldn't get there. So yeah. that's good. You should write a book. Uh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you for helping me. Um, <laughs> before we bring you this extract, uh, though, and all the details are in the show notes, and you can order it and stuff. We'll, we'll put that there too for dear serious angels listeners who want to. Have a read. I also thank Emerald and the Griff in the uh, in the thank it's you notes. It's true. That was nice. I did the. I was like, got to the thank you section. I was just like scanning, 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 scanning. Yes, my name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also a pretty you know heavy endorsement of the Australian Greens towards the end, so that'll that'll boost membership, I'm sure. But <laughs> yeah. this week, if you want to come along and hear me chatting about it live on stage, I would love you to come along to these launch events. Wednesday, the 30th of November, I'm chatting to Osman Faruqi. Uh, that is a free event at the Easy Street Concert Hall in Collingwood from 6.30pm. This Friday, the 2nd of December, I'm chatting to Jan Fran at Better Red Than Dead on King Street in Newtown from 6.30pm as well. And on Tuesday, the 6th of December in Brisbane in Greensland, I am talking what? to Emerald What's Moon. Happening? I'm talking Me? to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's at the Old yeah. Museum, 6.30pm. Um, again, we'd love to see a bunch of 
SD heads come down to those events. That would be so cute. Please It'd come. Be cute, wouldn't it? It'll be fun. I'll sign your book. We'll say hello. We'll get a photo. It'll be good times. Um, but for yep. now, this is a little taste of iMillennial. This is my thoughts on the old greens and the CPRS. Enjoy. Gather round, children. <laughs> but the Greens voted against the CPRS. For the perfect example of the kind of shit show that can arise when climate reality clashes with the interests of fossil fuel capital and a fossil fuel captured democratic political system, look no further than the unholy carbon pricing wars that were waged during the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd governments, a time of much rancour, division, betrayal and boring acronyms. Here's what happened, in a large nutshell. In 2007, the Rudd Labor government was elected with a massive mandate to act on climate change, which Kevin 07 referred to as the great moral challenge of our generation. His government immediately did what the Howard government had refused to do and ratified the Kyoto Protocol. At a UN climate conference in Bali, Rudd's government acknowledged the IPC's conclusion that in order to keep warming to 2 degrees Celsius, developed countries would have to reduce their emissions by 25 to 40 percent below 1990 levels by 2020, and he asked respected economist Professor Ross Garneau to write a big, smart, wide-ranging report to outline the best way for Australia to do its climate duty. When Garneau eventually handed down his climate change review in 2008, he recommended the government implement an emissions trading scheme, an ETS, a market-based system designed to impose a cost on carbon pollution. Under an ETS, the government puts a cap on the total level of emissions, creates a certain number of carbon permits, also known as carbon credits, units that allow you to emit a certain amount of a greenhouse gas, and then emitters buy and sell those permits in a regulated market. Heavy polluters will need to pay for extra credits if they want to keep polluting, while businesses that can cut back on their emissions can profit from selling their surplus permits to others. The general idea is the system creates incentives for people to reduce their emissions and to decarbonise the economy in a timely and efficient manner and so we can all live happily ever after. Garneau recommended that the ETS be robust. He believed it should apply to all sectors of the economy, that it shouldn't involve the handing out of free permits to businesses, and it should have a very limited reliance on, often quite dodgy, international carbon offsets. Labor's response to this expert opinion was to say, yeah, OK, cool, thanks, but Prob's not going to do that. Unsurprisingly, carbon-intensive industries were quite accustomed to being able to do cost-free pollution, and they weren't too stoked about the idea that they'd now have to pay for it. So they proceeded to have a massive sook and demand that Labor give them heaps of treats and loopholes. The ALP government, which included Minister for Resources and Energy Martin Ferguson, who would later leave politics and immediately join the advisory board for Appia and take up the position of Head of Natural Resources for Seven Group Holdings, obliged. And soon Garno's vision became more watered down than a Lismore swimming pool in flood season. The policy that the Rudd government eventually presented to Parliament the Carbon Pollution Reduction Scheme, or the CPRS, included a temporary exemption for agriculture, a complete exemption for forestry, the handing out of free permits and huge compensation payouts to polluting companies, the cutting of the fuel tax to offset the impact of the scheme on transport fuels, a reliance on the magic bunkum of clean coal technology, and the imposition of a price cap for five years to make sure that paying to pollute, which is the whole point of the scheme, wouldn't be too expensive. This put it in the awkward position of being a carbon pollution reduction scheme that wasn't going to be very good at reducing the country's overall carbon pollution. By the government's own treasury modelling, the CPRS wasn't going to do anything to move us away from fossil fuel extraction or coal-fired power for ages. 
it would actually increase the costs of running electric public transport and it wouldn't have led to a reduction in Australia's emissions for 25 years. Footnote! Even if the scheme was able to do what it said it would, its stated emissions reduction target was a pathetic 5-15% to below 2000 levels, a target that was inconsistent with the Australian government's own goals when it came to avoiding catastrophic heating. It also had the potential to lock in failure. Under the CPRS, polluting industries might have been able to successfully sue any future government that wanted to raise its climate ambitions to the tune of billions of dollars in compensation. So, the legislation was real bad. And it was friendless. The Australian Greens, the broader environmental movement, and even Ross Garneau himself didn't like it because it was bad, while the LNP opposition, led by climate lovey Malcolm Turnbull, but populated with various climate sceptic fruitcakes and IPA fans like Tony Abbott, Nick Mitchin and Dennis Jensen, thought it was all way too much, way too soon. The Greens approached Rudd and the Minister for Climate Change, Penny Wong, to push for changes so they could support the bill in the Senate, like increasing the emissions reduction target to a minimum of 25% in line with climate science and the base international ambitions, but the ALP said, piss off hippies, and barrelled on. After the CPRS was voted down by the upper house in August 2009, the government then decided to negotiate with the coalition to secure its support, which meant the bill was hollowed out even further to please the demands of industry and the kinds of people who donate to the Liberal and National parties. Soon the legislation included even bigger handouts to polluters and the agriculture sector was exempted from the ETS entirely. Not even this was enough to placate the likes of Abbott, who by now was telling members of the Liberal Party faithful that the so-called settled science of climate change is absolute crap. Just before the new bill was about to be brought back to Parliament, Tony, with some help from the Busy Bees and the Lavoisier Group, successfully staged a leadership coup against Turnbull and promptly announced the coalition's opposition to Rudd's great big new tax on everything. In the wake of this catastrophe, the Labor government followed the ingenious strategy of simply presenting the version of the CPRS they'd negotiated with right-wing nutjobs to the Senate, refusing to enter into any serious negotiations with the Greens or other crossbenchers to make it less horrible, and then getting extremely angry at the Greens for voting against a worse version of a bill they'd already clearly said they opposed a principled position that was supported by the likes of Greenpeace, the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, Friends of the Earth, the Wilderness Society and GetUp. With all but two coalition senators, the Greens and the crossbench opposed to the bill, the CPRS was defeated again. Rudd then headed off to the UN's climate change summit in Copenhagen, where nations failed to commit to any concrete action to reduce emissions and, according to comments reportedly made by the very diplomatic Rudd in private, those Chinese fuckers tried to rat-fuck us, Then he came home very sad, once again refused to reach any kind of compromise with the Greens to get something passed, and in 2010, his government finally made the call to shelve the scheme for three years. This was a move which didn't exactly scream, we are taking the greatest moral challenge of our generation thing seriously. His public approval ratings immediately took a nosedive, and in just a couple of months, following that mining tax debacle, he faced a political coup of his own. His party replaced him with Julia Gillard, for reasons that weren't exactly made crystal clear to the public, who then went to the 2010 election with a policy of establishing a citizens' assembly on climate change to build community consensus around the issue, which was a very funny joke that made everyone laugh. (laughs) Ever since those crazy days, this chaotic episode in hashtag Auspol history has been relitigated and decried in countless political memoirs and vicious Twitter exchanges. 
The CPRS debate is constantly held up by Labor hacks and centrist pundits as a tragic example of the intransigent Greens letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Some even claim that the party's decision to vote against the CPRS is the reason why the country suffered the ensuing so-called climate wars throughout the 2010s and why we've lagged so far behind when it comes to achieving climate progress. Not only does this rewriting of history completely ignore how lacking, compromised and unpopular the original CPRS was, it also ignores what happened next. The Greens enjoyed what was then their best ever election result in 2010 and used its new position in the balance of power with the Gillard minority government to dump the silly assembly policy and help facilitate the passage of the Clean Energy Package, the CEP, a world-leading, still definitely not perfect but heaps better, piece of legislation that included a price on carbon, more ambitious reduction targets, a quicker transition out of fossil fuels, slightly reduced assistance for polluters, and billions of dollars of investment in renewable energy and carbon farming. The CEP came into effect only a year after the CPRS was supposed to begin, and it did have an impact. During the two-year period in which the carbon price was in place, Australia's emissions fell by about 2%. If Labor had been willing to negotiate on the CPRS, it would have been passed. Tim Hollow told me on my podcast in June 2021. Tim was a senior advisor to Green Senator Christine Milne at the time of the CPRS Fun and Games. The Greens knocking it down was part of a negotiation process. The way you negotiate is by showing you have the strength to say no to something you don't want. The only reason we were able to get the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, the CEFC, and the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, ARENA, is because the Greens had the guts in 2010 to stand up and say, this policy isn't good enough, we're willing to go to an election saying this policy isn't good enough, we did go to an election saying this policy wasn't good enough, we got to balance of power, and we luckily then had a Prime Minister in Julia Gillard who actually could negotiate, as opposed to Kevin Rudd who couldn't negotiate with his own left foot and managed to get fantastic policies into place. It's important to note that Gillard's Clean Energy Act did not introduce a carbon tax. A carbon tax slaps a fixed level of tax to be paid by emitters per metric tonne of CO2 they produce. Emitters can either choose to reduce their emissions or pay the tax. The CEP introduced a fixed price on carbon for three years before transitioning to a floating price under an ETS. Ahead of the 2010 election, Julia Gillard said there'll be no carbon tax under the government I lead, and she was correct, although she would later kind of concede that it basically was like a carbon tax, even though it wasn't, and she would then later concede that in making that concession, she made the wrong choice, and politically, it hurt me terribly. Goblin Tony and his coalition relentlessly misrepresented the ETS as a carbon tax, even though they knew, as Abbott's former chief of staff, Peter Credlin, would publicly admit in 2017 that it wasn't a carbon tax at all, and accused Gillard of breaking her promise of never introducing a carbon tax, which she didn't, and called her Julia, and did deranged things like speak at no carbon tax rallies and agree with Alan Jones. By the time the 2013 election came around, the Parliamentary Labor Party, in its eternal wisdom, had replaced Julia Gillard with Kevin Rudd, who was the guy they got rid of before because he was so terrible, and they got absolutely rinsed by the coalition. Abbott quickly went about repealing the demonised carbon price and abolishing the Climate Commission, and tried, but failed, to nix the CEFC, ARENA and the Climate Change Authority. Almost immediately, Australia's emissions began to rise. Obviously, all of this, 
the fossil fuel industry's dominating influence over our politics, Labor's toxic infighting and poor political judgment, the coalition's internal machinations, climate denialism and vicious political campaign tactics, the existence of physics and the implications of climate science, etc., is the fault of the Greens. The minor party that's been banging on about the environment forever and that doesn't accept political donations from fossil fuel corporations is the main villain in the saga, and we should blame them for that and ignore all other relevant points of fact and history. And yes, the Greens voting against the CPRS in 2009 is also responsible for your eczema, COVID, Triple J not being as good as it used to be, and NFTs. <laughs>